Leadership and Self-Deception, Part 3, How We Get Out of the Box, Chapter 17, Lou. It was 8.15 in the morning, and Bud wasn't in the conference room yet. I was starting to wonder if I'd heard him correctly when the doors burst open and into the room walked an elderly gentleman. Tom Callum, he said with a hearty smile, extending his hand. Yes. Glad to meet you. My name's Lou. Lou Herbert. Lou Herbert, I said in astonishment. I'd seen pictures of Lou and some old video, but his presence was so unexpected that I never would have recognized him without his introduction. Yes, sorry for the shock. Bud's on his way. He's just checking on a couple of things for a meeting we have this afternoon. I was dumbstruck. No words came to mind, so I just stood there nervously. You're probably wondering what I'm doing here, he said. Well, yes, as a matter of fact... Bud called last night and asked if I could join you guys this morning. He wanted me to explain a few things about my history here. I was coming over today anyways for this afternoon's meeting, so here I am. I don't know what to say. It's incredible to meet you. I've heard so much about you. I know. It's almost like I'm already dead, isn't it? He said with a grin. Yeah, I guess it kind of is. I said, chuckling before I knew what I was saying. Look, Tom, go ahead, sit. Bud asked me to get started with you before he arrives. He gestured toward a seat. Please. I sat in my familiar chair from the afternoon before, and Lou took the seat across from me. So, how's it been going? You mean yesterday? Yes. It was quite an amazing day, actually. Quite amazing. Really? Tell me about it, he said. Although I'd been with Lou for only a minute or two, my nervousness had evaporated. His kindly eyes and gentle demeanor reminded me of my dad, who had died ten years earlier. I felt completely comfortable in his presence and found myself wanting to share my thoughts with him as I used to with my father. Well, I said, I hardly know where to begin. I learned a lot yesterday, but let me start with my boy. Over the next 15 minutes or so, I told Lou about the best night I'd had with Laura and Todd in at least five years. It was a night that was extraordinary only because I simply enjoyed being with them without anything extraordinary happening to make me enjoy it. I cooked. I laughed. I had my son teach me how to tune up the car. For the first time in I didn't know how long, I enjoyed and felt grateful for my family. And for the first time in a long time, I went to bed with no hard feelings toward anyone in my home. What did Laura think of it all? Lou asked. I don't think she knew what to think. She kept asking me what was going on until I finally had to tell her about what I learned yesterday. Oh, so you tried to teach her? Yeah, it was a disaster. I think it took me only a minute or so to have her thoroughly confused. The box, self-betrayal, collusion... I butchered the ideas so badly I couldn't believe it. Lou smiled knowingly. I know what you mean. You hear someone like Bud explain all this and it seems like the simplest thing in the world, but you try to do it yourself and you quickly realize how subtle it all is. That's true. I think my explanations probably created more questions than they answered, but she tried to understand anyway. Lou listened intently, his eyes creased with kindness, and although I couldn't be sure, I thought I saw approval in them as well. You might check with Bud to see if this is still going on, Lou said. But in the past, a couple of times a year, we put on evening-long training events where interested family members could come and learn these ideas. It used to mean a lot to everybody that the company would do that for them. If it's still going on, Laura might really like it. Thanks. I'll check for sure. Just then, the door swung open and in walked Bud. Tom, he said, exasperated. Sorry I'm late. 
I had a few last-minute preparations for the meeting with the Klofhausen group this afternoon. As usual, there aren't enough last minutes. He set his briefcase down and took a seat between Lou and me at the head of the table. Well, Tom, we got lucky. What do you mean? I mean, Lou, he's the surprise I was hoping for. Lou's story is the story of how this material has transformed Zargum, and I wanted him to share it with you if he could. I'm happy I can be here, Lou, said graciously. But before we get into that story, but I think you should hear about Tom's experience last night. Oh, yes, Tom, I'm sorry. Tell me about your evening. I don't know why, perhaps because I worked for Bud and wanted badly to impress him, but I was reticent at first to share what I had shared with Lou. But Lou kept prodding me. Tell him about this and tell him about that. And I soon relaxed and told Bud all about my evening. After 10 minutes or so, he was smiling, just as Lou had been. That's terrific, Tom, Bud said. How was Todd through the evening? About the same as usual, pretty silent. He basically responded to my questions as he always does, mostly with yes, no, I don't know. But I didn't seem to mind it last night, whereas before it would have driven me crazy. That reminds me of my boy, Lou said. He paused for a moment, looking out the window, far away, as if retrieving something from the distant past. The story of Zargum's turnaround starts with him. Chapter 18. Leadership in the Box My youngest boy, Corey, who's now almost 40, was a handful. Drugs, drinking, you name it, he did it. Everything came to a head when he was arrested for selling drugs during his senior year in high school. At first, I wanted to deny it. No Herbert ever did drugs, and so to sell them, that was unthinkable. I stomped around, demanding that this injustice be exposed. It couldn't be true, not about my boy, so I demanded a full trial. Our lawyer recommended against it, and the district attorney offered a plea bargain that included only 30 days in jail. But I wouldn't have it. I'll be damned if my son is ever going to go to jail, I said, and so we fought. But we lost, and Corey ended up spending a full year in the youth detention facility up in Bridgeport. As far as I was concerned, it was a blight on the family name. I visited him twice the whole year. Then he got home. We hardly spoke. I rarely asked him anything, and when I did, he responded with barely audible one-word answers. He fell back into the wrong crowd, and within three months, he was arrested again for shoplifting. I wanted to deal with this one quietly. I had no illusions that he was innocent, so I pushed for a plea bargain that involved a 60-day wilderness treatment and survival program in the high country of Arizona. Five days later, I boarded a plane, Corey in tow, from JFK to Phoenix. I was taking him to be fixed. My wife Carol and I dropped him off at the organization's headquarters. We watched as he was loaded into a van with other kids who were entering the program, and away they drove toward the mountains of eastern central Arizona. We were then escorted into a room for two all-day sessions, sessions where I expected to learn how the people there were going to fix my son. But that's not what I learned. I learned that whatever my son's problems might be, I needed fixing too. What I learned changed my life. Not at first, for I fought everything they were suggesting tooth and nail. What? Me? I protested. I don't do drugs. I'm not the one who spent most of my senior year in high school behind bars. I'm not the thief. I'm a responsible person. Respected. The president of a company, even. But gradually, I came to see the lie in my defensiveness. I came to discover in a way I can describe only as simultaneously painful and hopeful, that I had been, for years, 
in the box toward my wife and my kids. In the box, I said quietly, almost under my breath. Yes, in the box, Lou responded. I learned that first day in Arizona what you learned yesterday. And in that moment, about the time my son was probably climbing out of the van and looking around at the isolated wilderness that would be his home for the next two months, I felt for the first time in years an overwhelming desire to take him in my arms and hold him. What desperate loneliness and shame he must have been feeling, and how I had added to it. His last hours, or for that matter, months and maybe even years, with his dad had been spent under a silent cloud of blame. It was all I could do to hold back the tears. But it was worse than that. That day, I realized that my box had driven away not only my son, but also the most important people in my company. Two weeks earlier, in what people around the company were calling the March Meltdown, five of the six executive team members had left for better opportunities. Kate, I asked. Yes, Kate was one of them. Lou stared intently into nowhere, apparently in deep thought. It's amazing when I think back on it now, he said, finally. I felt betrayed by them, the same way I felt betrayed by Corey. To hell with them, I told myself, to hell with them all. I was determined, he continued, to build Zargum into a success without them. They weren't that great anyway, I told myself. They'd been around, most of them, for the full six or so years since I'd purchased the company from John Zargum, and the company was basically limping along. If they were any good, we'd be doing better by now, I thought, to hell with them. But it was a lie. Now, it might have been true that we should have been doing better, but it was still a lie because I was completely blind to my role in our mediocrity. And as a result, I was blind to how I was blaming them, not for their mistakes, but for mine. I was blind, as we always are, to my own box. But how I recovered my sight in Arizona, I saw in myself a leader who was so sure of the brilliance of his own ideas that he couldn't allow brilliance in anyone else's. A leader who felt he was so enlightened that he needed to see workers negatively in order to prove his enlightenment. A leader so driven to be the best that he made sure no one else could be as good as he was. Lou paused. You've learned about collusion, haven't you, Tom? Where two or more people are mutually in their boxes toward each other? Yes. Well, with self-justifying images that told me I was brilliant, enlightened, and the best... You can imagine the collusions I was provoking around here. In the box, I was a walking excuse factory, both for myself and for others. Any workers who needed the slightest justification for their own self-betrayals had a smorgasbord of options in me. I couldn't see, for example, that the more I took responsibility for my team's performance, the more mistrusted they felt. They then resisted in all kinds of ways. Some just gave up and left all creativity to me. Others defied me and did things their own way, and still others left the company altogether. All of these responses convinced me all the more of the incompetence of the people in the company. So I responded by issuing even more careful instructions, developing even more policies and procedures, and so on. Everyone took all that to be further evidence of my disrespect for them and resisted me all the more. And so on, round and round, each of us inviting the other to be in the box and in doing so, providing each other with mutual justification for staying there. Collusion was everywhere. We were a mess. Just like Semmelweis, I said in an amazement under my breath. 
Oh, so Bud told you about Semmelweis? Lou asked, looking at Bud and then back at me. Yes, I said, nodding along with Bud. Well, that's right, Lou continued. The Semmelweis story is an interesting parallel. I was, in effect, killing the people in my company. Our turnover rate rivaled the mortality rate at Vienna General. I was carrying the disease I blamed everyone else for. I infected them and then blamed them for the infection. Our organizational chart was a chart of colluding boxes. As I said, we were a mess. But what I learned in Arizona was that I was a mess because I was in the box. I was provoking the very problems I was complaining about. I had chased away the very best people I knew, feeling justified all the time because in my box, I was convinced they weren't that good. He paused. Even Kate, he added, shaking his head. No one on this planet is more talented than Kate, but I couldn't see that because of my box. So there I sat in Arizona. I had a huge problem. I was sitting next to a wife whom I'd been taking for granted for 25 years. I was by then 100 miles of impassable terrain away from a son whose only recent memories of his father were probably bitter ones. And my company had come unglued, the best and brightest scattering around the globe, embarking on new careers. I was a lonely man. My box was destroying everything I cared about. One question seemed more important to me in that moment than anything else in the world. How can I possibly get out of the box? Lou paused, and I waited for him to continue. So how do you, I finally interjected, how do you get out of the box? You already know. Chapter 19. Toward being out of the box. I do? I searched my memory about the sessions the day before. I was sure we hadn't talked about it. Yes. And so did I when I was wondering how to get out, Lou said. Huh? At that moment, I was really lost. Think about it, Lou replied. As I sat there, regretting how I'd acted toward my wife, my son, and my co-workers, what were they to me? In that moment, was I seeing them as people or as objects? In that moment, they were people to you, I said, my voice trailing off in thought. Yes, my blame, resentment, and indifference were gone. I was seeing them as they were, and I was regretting having treated them as less than that. So in that moment, where was I? You were out of the box, I said softly, almost as if in a trance, trying to locate what made the change possible. I was feeling a bit like a spectator at a magic show who sees the rabbit surely enough but has no idea where it came from. Exactly, Lou agreed. In the moment, I felt the keen desire to be out of the box for them. I was already out of the box toward them. To feel that desire for them was to be out of the box toward them. And the same goes for you, Tom, he continued. Think about your time last night with your family. What were they to you last night? Were you seeing them as people or as objects? They were people, I said, amazed by the discovery. So if last night you were out of the box, Lou said, then you already know how to get out of the box. But I don't, I said in protest. I have no idea how it happened. In fact, I didn't even know I was out of the box last night until you just pointed it out to me. I couldn't begin to tell you how I got out. Yes, you can. In fact, you already did. 
What do you mean? I was completely bewildered. I mean, you told us about yesterday and about your experience last night, about how you went home and spent the evening with your family. That story teaches us how to get out of the box. But that's my point. I don't see it. And this is my point. Yes, you do. You just don't realize it yet, but you will. That gave me a little bit of comfort, but not much. You see, Lou said, the question, how do I get out of the box, is really two questions. The first question is, how do I get out? And the second is, how do I stay out once I'm out? The question you're really worried about, I think, is the second, how to stay out. Think about it. And I want you to emphasize this again. When you're feeling that you want to get out of the box for someone, in that moment, you're already out. You're feeling that way because you're now seeing him or her as a person. In feeling that way toward that person, you're already out of the box. So in that moment, like the moment you're having right now, and like last night, when you're seeing and feeling clearly and want to be out of the box for others, What you're really asking is this, what can I do to stay out of the box toward them? What can I do to sustain the change I'm now feeling? That's the question. And there are some pretty specific things we can do once we're out of the box to stay out of the box, and particularly for our purposes in the workplace. As Lou was talking, I started to understand what he meant. Okay, I see how in feeling like I want to be out of the box for someone, In that moment, I'm seeing him or her as a person. So in having that feeling, I'm already out of the box toward that person. I understand that. And I understand how once I'm out of the box, the question then is how to stay out. And I definitely want to get into that, especially applied to work. But I'm still scratching my head over how I got out in the first place. How my resentment toward Laura and Todd suddenly disappeared. Maybe I just got lucky last night. When I'm not so lucky, I'd like to know how to get myself out. Fair enough, Lou said, standing up. I'll do my best, with Bud's help, to explain how we get out in the first place. Chapter 20. Dead Ends To begin with, Lou continued, it helps to understand how we don't get out of the box. He wrote on the board, What doesn't work in the box? Turning back to me, he said, Think about the things we try to do when we're in the box. For example, in the box, whom do we think has the problem? Others, I answered. That's right, he said. So normally, we spend a lot of energy in the box trying to change others. But does that work? Does that get us out of the box? No. Why not, he asked. Because that's the problem in the first place, I said. I'm trying to change them because in the box, I think they need to be changed. But does that mean no one needs to be changed? Lou asked. Is everyone doing things just perfectly then? Is that what you're saying? That no one needs to improve? I felt a little stupid when he asked the question. Come on, Callum. I said to myself, think. I wasn't being careful enough. No, of course not. Everyone needs to improve. Then why not the other guy? He said. What's wrong if I want him to improve? That was a good question. What is wrong with that? I asked myself. I thought that was what all this meant. But at that moment, I wasn't so certain. I'm not sure, I said. Well, think about it this way. 
While it's true that others may have problems they need to solve, are their problems the reason I'm in the box? No. That's what you think in the box, but it's a misperception. Exactly, said Lou. So even if I were successful and the person I tried to change actually changed, would that solve the problem of my being in the box? No, I guess it wouldn't. That's right, it wouldn't. Even if the other person actually did change. And it's worse than that, Bud interjected. Think about what we talked about yesterday regarding collusion. When I'm in the box and try to get others to change, do I invite them to change as I'd like? No, I said. You end up provoking just the opposite. Exactly right, Bud said. My box ends up provoking more of the very thing I set out to change. So if I try to get out by changing others, I end up provoking others to give me reason to stay in the box. So, Lou said, turning to the board and writing, trying to change others doesn't work. Note to the audio listener, here is another graphic. It says, what doesn't work in the box? Number one, trying to change others. What about doing my best to cope with others, Lou said, turning from the board. Does that work? I wouldn't think so, I said. That's essentially what I usually do, but it doesn't seem to get me out. That's right, it doesn't, Lou agreed. And there's a simple reason why. Coping has the same deficiency as trying to change the other person. It's just another way to continue blaming. It communicates the blame of my box, which invites those I'm coping with to be in their boxes. He turned to the board and added coping to the list of things that didn't work. Note to the audio listener, now written in the diagram, the title, What Doesn't Work in the Box. Number one, trying to change others. Number two, doing my best to cope with others. How about this one? Bud added while Lou was writing, leaving. Does leaving work? Will that get me out of the box? Maybe, I said. It seems like it might sometimes. Well, let's think about it. Where do I think the problem is when I'm in the box? In others, I said. Exactly. But where, in fact, is the problem when I'm in the box? In myself. Yes. So if I leave, what goes with me? He asked. The problem, I said, softly nodding. I get it. The box goes with me. That's right, Bud said. In the box, leaving is just another way to blame. It's just a continuation of my box. I take my self-justifying feelings with me. Now, it may be that in certain situations, leaving is the right thing to do. But leaving a situation will never be sufficient, even if right. Ultimately, I have to leave my box too. Yeah, that makes sense, I said. Here, let me add it to the list, Lou said. Note to the audio listener, now on the diagram, what doesn't work in the box? Number one, trying to change others. Number two, doing my best to cope with others. And three, leaving. Here's another one to consider, said Lou. How about communicating? Will that work? Will that get me out of the box? It seems like it would, I said. I mean, if you can't communicate, you don't have anything. Okay, said Lou. Let's consider this one carefully. He looked at the board. Whose story is this over here about self-betrayal? Is it yours, Bud? Yes, Bud nodded. Oh, yes. I see Nancy's name there, said Lou. Okay, let's think about it. Look here, Tom, at Bud's story. After he betrayed himself, here's how he saw Nancy. As lazy, inconsiderate, insensitive, and so on. Now here's the question. If he tries to communicate with Nancy now, 
while he's in the box, what's he going to communicate? Oh, I said, surprised by the implication. He's going to communicate what he's feeling about her, namely that she's all those bad things. Exactly. And will that help? Is Bud likely to get out of the box by telling his wife that she's all the lousy things he's thinking she is when he's in the box? No, I said. But what if he's a little more sophisticated than that? I mean, with a little skill, he might be able to communicate more subtly and not just come right out and blast away. That's true, Lou agreed. But remember, if Bud's in the box, then he's blaming. It's true he may be able to acquire some skills that would improve his communication techniques. But do you suppose those skills would hide his blame? Probably not, I said. At least not completely. That's the way it seems to me, too, agreed Lou. In the box, whether I'm a skilled communicator or not, I end up communicating my box. And that's the problem. He turned and added communicating to the list. Note to the audio listener, another diagram. What doesn't work in the box? Number one, trying to change others. Number two, doing my best to cope with others. Number three, leaving. And number four, communicating. In fact, he said, backing away from the board, this point about skills applies to skills generally, not just to communication skills. You might think about it this way. No matter what skill you teach, I can be either in the box or out of the box when I implement it. And that raises this question. Will using a skill in the box be the way to get out of the box? No, I said, I guess not. That's why skill training in non-technical areas often has so little lasting impact, Lou said. Helpful skills and techniques aren't very helpful if they're done in the box. They just provide people with more sophisticated ways to blame. And remember, Tom, added Bud, the people problems that most people try to correct with skills aren't due to a lack of skill at all. They're due to self-betrayal. People problems seem intractable, not because they are insoluble, but because the common skill interventions are not themselves solutions. That's exactly right, agreed Lude. So, he said, turning and writing again, We can't get out of the box simply by implementing new skills and techniques. Note to the audio listener on the diagram, what doesn't work in the box? Number one, trying to change others, doing my best to cope with others. Three, leaving. Four, communicating. Five, implementing new skills or techniques. I looked at the board and suddenly felt depressed. What is left, I thought. There's one more possibility we should consider, said Bud. Here it is. What if I try to change myself, my behavior? Can that get me out of the box? It looks like that's the only thing that can get you out, I answered. This is tricky, but quite important. Bud stood up and started to pace. Let's think back to a couple of the stories we talked about yesterday. Remember the situation I told you about Gabe and Leon over in Building 6? I searched my memory. I'm not sure. Gabe had tried doing all kinds of things to let Leon know he was concerned about him. Oh yeah, I remember. Well, he continued, Gabe had changed his behavior toward Leon dramatically. But did that work? No. And why not? Because as I recall, Gabe didn't really care about Leon. And that's what Leon understood despite all of Gabe's outward changes. Exactly. 
Since Gabe was in the box toward Leon, every new thing Gabe tried to do from within his box just amounted to a change within the box. Leon remained an object to him throughout all his efforts. Think about that, Bud said with emphasis. Or think about the story where Nancy and I were arguing, but I tried to apologize and put an end to it. Do you remember? I nodded. Yeah? It's the same thing, he said, taking his seat. I changed myself in a radical way in that case. I changed all the way from arguing to kissing. But did that change get me out of the box? No, because you didn't really mean it, I answered. You were still in the box. And that's just the point, Bud said, leaning toward me. Because I was in the box, I couldn't mean it. In the box, every change I can think of is just a change in my style of being in the box. I can change from arguing to kissing. I can change from ignoring someone to going out of my way to shower that person with attention. But whatever changes I think of in the box are changes I think of from within the box. And they are therefore just more of the box, which is the problem in the first place. Others remain objects to me. That's right, Lou said, moving to the board. So consider the implication, Tom. I can't get out of the box merely by changing my behavior. Note to the audio listener, what's on the diagram? What doesn't work in the box? Number one, trying to change others. Two, doing my best to cope with others. Three, leaving. Four, communicating. Five, implementing new skills or techniques. And six, changing my behavior. But wait a minute, I said. You're telling me that I can't get out by trying to change others or by doing my best to cope with others or by leaving, communicating, or implementing new skills and techniques. And then you're telling me on top of that that I can't even get out of the box by changing myself? Well, you can't get out by continuing to focus on yourself, which is what you do when you try to change your behavior in the box. So yes, that is what we're saying, he answered calmly. Then how could we ever get out? I mean, if what you're saying is right, then there's no way out. We're all stuck. Actually, Lou said, that's not quite right. There is a way out, but it's different than anyone generally supposes. And you know what it is. Just like I told you before, you just don't realize that you know it. I was listening intently. I wanted to understand this. You were out of the box last night toward your family, right? I guess so. Well, by the way, you told your story. It sounded like you were, Lou said. That means there is a way out. So let's think of your experience last night. Did you try to change your wife and son last night? No. Did you feel like you were coping with them? No. And obviously, you didn't leave. How about communicating? Did you get out because you communicated? Well, maybe. I mean, we communicated very well, the best we'd done in a long time. Yes, Lou agreed. But did you get out of the box because you communicated? Or did you communicate well because you were out of the box? Let me think, I said, more puzzled than ever. I was already out of the box. I was out of the box on my way home. Communicating isn't what got me out, I guess. Okay, then. How about this last one? Lou said, pointing at the list. Did you get out of the box because you focused on and tried to change yourself? I sat there wondering, what happened to me yesterday? 
It ended in a magnificent evening, but I suddenly had no idea how I had gotten there. It was like I had been abducted by aliens. Did I set out to change myself? That wasn't my memory. It felt more like something changed me. At least I couldn't remember setting out to change. In fact, if anything, it seemed that along the whole way, I resisted the suggestion that I had to change. So what happened? How did I get out of the box? Why did my feelings change? I'm not sure, I said finally, but I don't remember trying to change myself. Somehow, I just ended up changed, almost like something changed me. But I'm clueless as to how it happened. Here's something that might help you figure it out, Bud said. Remember when we talked yesterday about how the distinction between being in the box and being out of the box is deeper than behavior? Yeah, I remember that, I said. And we discussed the airplane seating story, drew that diagram with behaviors up on top, and talked about how we can do almost any behavior in one of those two ways, either out of the box or in the box. Remember? Yes. So consider this. If being in or out of the box is something that's deeper than behavior, do you suppose the key to getting out of the box will be a behavior? I started to see what he was saying. No, I guess it wouldn't, I said, suddenly feeling hopeful that this thought would lead me to the answer. That's right, Bud said. One of the reasons you may be struggling to understand how you got out of the box is that you're trying to identify a behavior that got you out. But since the box itself is deeper than behavior, the way out of the box has to be deeper than behavior too. Almost any behavior can be done either in the box or out of the box. So no mere behavior can get you out. You're looking in the wrong place. In other words, Lou interjected, there's a fundamental problem with the question, what do I need to do to get out of the box? The problem is that anything I tell you to do can be done either in or out of the box. And if done in the box, that in-the-box behavior can't be the way to get out. So you might then be tempted to say, well, the answer then is to do that behavior out of the box. Fair enough. But if you're out of the box, then you won't need the behavior anymore to get you out. Either way, the behavior isn't what gets you out. It's something else. But what? I pleaded. Something right in front of you.